as I was pondering, uh, preparing, and speaking to you, dear folks, and it is such a humbling experience to look out and see so many of you that have joined us time and again for decades now. We are humbled. We are honored. We are delighted that you would join us. We trust that God will meet you and honor the desires of your heart. But as I was thinking about this topic, romance can conjure a number of feelings in our souls. One can be great. Another list of what I'm not doing. Another look at where I'm falling short. Another thing that I'm not doing well. And I want to dispel that right off the bat. What we're going to be talking about will will have application, I trust. But not everything all at once. I, I was thinking of looking at a map. And we're on our way somewhere. So I look at the map and I determine what's the next turn I take. Well, I don't put the map in the glove compartment and feel condemned because I didn't get to every place on the map. I don't look at a menu, pick the thing that's most attractive, most appealing, enjoy it, put the menu away, and then feel condemned because I didn't eat everything on the menu. And folks, we don't go to the Word of God. Have a quiet time. Look at a few verses that minister to our souls. Close the book and then feel condemned because we didn't do everything in the book. That's not what God intends for us. We trust that he will speak to us and through us to in some way serve you so that you can take away one turn on the map, maybe one morsel from the menu, one verse of scripture that will begin moving you further along into what God intends for each and every one of us, no exception. I also am aware that in crowds this size, marriages are in different places. Newlyweds, oldlyweds, delightfully so. Um, f- folks that are just enjoying bliss. Folks that are struggling. And perhaps the thought of romance is very appealing. Perhaps it's not so appealing. Because it conjures thoughts of discouragement and pain. God intends that each and every one of us enjoy all that he's promised, all that he's provided in our marriages. And no matter where we are today, there is grace to take a step forward, regardless of what's behind us. There is always grace to love, honor, please, and obey God and enjoy his grace. So I I want us to just sit back, relax, not be on the edge of our seat, concerned with where we're going to be condemned and convicted, but rather just be reminded of God's great love for us. And one of the ways he's displayed that is in our marriages. Brian prayed. I want to take a moment to pray as well, very specifically for each of us. And when I say each of us, Betsy and I are here as learners too. We never look at this material thinking, I know that. The worst mistakes I've ever made in our marriage or in my parenting is when I assumed I knew what I was doing. Because God resists the proud, but he does give grace to the humble. So let's pray and ask for his help. Father, thank you for the gospel, for the good news, for the gift of a Savior that has provided for us everything we need, not only for redemption, salvation, forgiveness, but for life and godliness. Thank you for your word that instructs that trains, that equips, that convicts, that encourages, that instills hope. Thank you, O Lord, for your Holy Spirit who illuminates, 
guides, empowers, stirs faith. Thank you for your church. Members of one another, given to care for one another, encourage one another, come alongside one another. Lord, thank you for the gift of marriage that you would entrust to us that which reflects Christ and his church is more than we can understand. But we thank you for the privilege. We embrace the gift and pray that as a result of what we experience in these few brief hours together, our marriages would more reflect Christ and the church. Our hearts would be renewed and invigorated with faith. Our passions would be stirred. And Lord, where there are maybe only embers, Spirit of God, begin to fan into flame a love, a devotion, a commitment, an affection for one another that really is beyond what we could ask or imagine, really does bring you glory, really does bring us good. Build your church for your glory and for the witness to a watching world. Holy Spirit, we welcome you now. Lord God, we've gathered in your name. We believe you are here with us now. And may all that we do worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, looking at your outline on romance and marriage, we begin, Roman numeral one, romance is simply an expression of God's love. It's, there are many expressions in all of life, but romance is an expression of God's love. And we are very familiar with the fact that God's love is the origin of all love. All love originates with God. Genuine love originates with God. In creation, God created man and blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Then he goes on to say, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. From the beginning of creation, God was lavishing his love on us, on mankind. He creates man in a perfect world, every need supplied, and still says, you know what, I want to do something else. I want to show my love in another way. I want to create in a way that will bless him. We were created into a world untouched by sin. That is God's love and kind. All was pure, all was perfect. And yet, it wasn't complete in God's eyes, and he gave us a helper, a wife. One of the things I want to remind us of, men, as we think about God's love, there are going to be little questions like this I'm going to ask throughout our time together. God gave man a perfect world, but he said that's not enough. And what I need to ask myself periodically is in my love for my wife, when do I think I've done enough? Just a little question. Come home with a hard day at work, I've done enough. Just be aware of God's love. God never states, I've, not, I've done enough. In redemption, in creation, God showed his love. In redemption, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This perfect world that man was created into was corrupted by sin. We sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Mankind rejected God's kindness. God's goodness, God's authority. And what was God's response to that? Mercy. 
He forgave. He provided a Savior because of his great love for us. He could have just ended it all, but he didn't. In creation, he blessed. In redemption, he gave us his only begotten Son that we might know his love. His response to our sin is mercy. And one of the questions I often have to ask myself is, what is my response if Betsy sins? God's response to me was mercy. What's my response? It's just another expression of God's love for us in creation, in redemption. We sin, he forgives. We love because he first loved us. Brothers and sisters, we can only love because God first loved us. And because he did first love us, the natural response the natural responsibility is to love others. We don't receive only. We receive with a view to responding. We love because he first loved us. God's love and grace to us compel and empower God's love through us. The gospel brings with it a privilege and a gift, but a responsibility. So what we're talking about today really isn't first and foremost between us. It starts with God's love for us, God's mercy toward us, God's goodness to us. Genuine love is always expressed. If all I ever did was tell Betsy that I love her and I enjoy doing that as often as I can, if there wasn't something giving expression to that, that would grow cold. That would grow questionable. Genuine love is always expressed. God gave his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The son gave his life. God's love and mercy are constant. I love this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. There is never a time when God is not loving us, caring for us, Protecting us, providing for us. He is always doing good. One of the questions that we should be asking ourselves throughout the day is, what does loving my wife, what does loving my husband look like today? If the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, I don't want my love to cease. If his mercies are new every morning, what mercy can I display today? In response to his love for me, regardless of what last night was like, regardless of what the day is like, I have a privilege. Lord, if your love never ceases, what expression can I give to my love today? Genuine love is always expressed. Genuine love is gloriously displayed in marriage. God isn't just interested in love. God is love. He embodies, epitomizes, displays, is the very person of love. And as a gift to us in marriage, he gave Romance, ways to express that love, creative, spontaneous, planned, because he is interested in not only our receiving his love, but our expressing love in marriage. God's love to us in marriage. Men, may we never, ever take for granted he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. He began with Adam. 
And God continues to lavish his love and favor on us. We sit here recipients of a gift from God. I never want to take for granted that God gave me a wife. I never want to take for granted that 32 years ago, going on 33, she said yes. She didn't have to do that. Now, she loves God, fears God. I trust her response wasn't, well, I fear God. I guess I better say yes. (laughs) But I stop and think, there's a lot of other ways that she could have spent her life. And she chose to spend it with me. That's a gift. I never want to take that for granted. Maybe there's something going on in your marriage right now where you don't feel like husband or wife you're experiencing favor. Well, step back from the experience, which is very real, and ponder, Lord, in light of your love for me, your mercy toward me, how do I respond and go forward in this situation? Not stay in it, not become resigned because of it. What progress could I make? If you have delivered me from my greatest problem, my greatest need, then Lord, help us to make our way through this situation. God's love and grace to us compels God's love and grace through us. Husbands, love your wives. God's love to us, God's love through us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, here's our response and responsibility to the love that God has shown us. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. You ever stopped and thought about, now what does, what are attributes of God's love for us? And folks, Part part of what sustains us is just being aware of how lavish and good and creative and consistent God's love is for us. God's love, as revealed in Christ, is constant. His love never ceases. It's creative. His mercies are new every morning, and it's sacrificial. God's love for us cost him everything. It cost his son his life. Love is a costly thing. There may be something that you're aware of even this morning, even in these two moments. Lord, I'm aware you're calling me to forsake that, forego that in order to love my husband or my wife more consistently, more like you love me. For men, our high and holy calling is reflecting Christ. Our children are watching. The church is watching. Our families are watching. Most importantly, God is watching. We have a privilege. And our question is simply, Lord, give me the grace to today give one demonstration of the love of Christ for me. There are times in our relationship where passions are not at fever pitch. Feelings aren't overflowing. We recognize there's been a drift. The temptation can be to quickly write a card or get flowers or create a special time away. And men, if we have fallen short, been deficient, repentance does look like something. But I don't stir my heart there. I stir my heart with recognizing the love that God has shown me, the grace that God has shown me. That kindles, that restores, that replenishes, that begins to ignite. Because I want to please God. God's love and mercy. God's love and grace to us and through us. Husbands, love your wives. 
Older women train the young women to love their husbands and children. That is the call on our lives. Number three, marriage is a living demonstration of divine love and mercy in human relationship. As husbands and wives, we have the privilege and responsibility to share and display the goodness, mercy, and love that God has lavished on us. This section that we're talking about really is about our hearts and our hearts toward God. Receiving God's love, receiving faith for change. Because it would be very easy to look at one another and say, will this ever be different? But look upward, look at the cross, look at the gospel, look at the word and find our hearts stirred with faith to say, yes, there is more than God has for us. The culture is not going to define love for us. Not going to find it in a movie, you're not going to find it in Hollywood, you're probably not going to find it in most books, sadly, even in Christian bookstores. Because so much of what the world gives us and so much of what I think the church at times is bought into is how we get rather than give. I can understand a book that says how to have great conversation and communication. But underneath all that is how I can be happy. How can I I can enjoy myself? And folks, that's not where we start with the gospel. That's not where we start with the church. That's not where we start in our marriages. The world will talk about getting, not giving, selfishness, not sacrifice, conquest, not commitment, lust, not love, and too often the church, with whether it's the self-help section, whether it's the marriage section of your local bookstore, are talking about us getting rather than giving. There is a glorious reason, a biblical reason, an ultimate reason for marriage, and that's written in Ephesians 5. A man shall leave his father and mother... Hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. One of the things that assures me of God's desire for success and fruitfulness in our marriage is because he wants us to reflect Christ in the church. He wants us to display his glory. That's his intention for us. Now, we're going to go to the next part of the outline, Roman numeral 2, Romance Defined, and speaking of Romance Defined... I could ask my wife to join me. I thought about that this morning. <laughs> did they applaud when I came up? I okay, did. okay, I did. okay. Just checking. I'm just checking. That sounded pretty loud to me. Understandably, understandably. Look at a, a couple of definitions of romance. Romance is the outward expression of the desire to love. Nourish and cherish our spouse. Affection, intimacy, and delight should be a regular part of that expression. True romance is only possible where there is biblical love within the covenant of marriage. Now, it's interesting, the word romance never appears in the Bible. It's not there. But there are many examples in Scripture that inspire us, that remind us, that display to us, that make a claim on us. That there should be passion, affection, and romance in our marriages. You look at the list, the redemptive love of Boaz for Ruth, the sacrifice, the giving, the caring. Jacob's passion for Rachel. This is one of my favorite little verses and sections of scripture in the Bible about marriage. I'm going to read this to you. Genesis 29. Jacob loved Rachel. 
And he said to her father Laban, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Listen to this. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Seven years. He worked an additional seven after that. Fourteen years. They seemed but a few days because of the love that he had for her. That is a picture of what God intends for us. The Song of Solomon. There's an entire book devoted to passionate and affectionate romantic love for a husband and wife. The New Testament warns against physical separation. Don't deprive one another. There's an implied, implicit, uh, explicit declaration that this is something that we should be giving to one another. Husbands nourishing and cherishing their wives in Ephesians 5. Understanding our wives. Honoring our wives. These are all references of Scripture that talk to us about the, the importance, the gift of affection and passion in marriage. Letter B, romance is an art that must be developed the rest of my life. It is not a natural state that is automatically maintained. This comes to no one naturally. It's not that you either have it or you don't. That's not the case. Romance doesn't have anything to do with your background, temperament, personality, nationality. It is love, listen, it is love desiring to be expressed as often and as passionately and in, many way, in as many ways as possible in every season and circumstance for as long as you both shall live. And we're going to get into the fact that this isn't all exorbitant and expensive and lavish. It's a way of life. Romance without marriage or a commitment to marriage is selfish. It's taking something that isn't mine. Marriage without romance is also selfish. It's keeping something that isn't mine. Love is to be given. Ed Wheat, in his book, Intended for Pleasure, says that romantic love is a pleasurable, learned response to the way your partner looks and feels, to the things your partner says and does, to the emotional experiences you share. It is a keen desire to work for the beloved's happiness, no matter how much effort is required. Ladies, that book was written in 1973. It's a definition that's 37 years old. And it was one of the only books that we had back in the day. And that definition has served me time and again. And here are the reasons why. Romance is learned. That has helped me so much. As Gary just said, it's, it's not either you have it or you don't. I can learn it. There isn't a more uncreative woman on the planet than the one standing before you right now. It is encouraging to me that I can learn. I can learn. One way that I have learned is to ask my husband what he considers romantic. I have creative friends, and I've asked them. You can mooch a lot of great ideas off your creative friends. You want to learn? Begin by asking. The second thing that has really encouraged me is that romance can be experienced through the experiences that we share. 
And can I just tell you that not all the experiences that have produced intimacy have been happy ones. Um, there have been conflicts that we have taken time to resolve, trials that we have weathered, crises that we have endured together. Can I just tell you that the solidity of our commitment, our love, even through walking through it in wrestling and repenting and then repenting again, can I just tell you that the end result of that can be a romance and an intimacy that is deeper than you could imagine? I think we can sometimes tend to put romantic love in a box, can restrict it to what we consider romantic. I certainly enjoy candlelight and flowers, but over time, my perspective of romance has broadened. My husband loves things that are loud, fast, technologically advanced. I, I don't really care about those things naturally. So over the years, this has meant tours of nuclear aircraft carriers, <laughs> nuclear attack submarines, many military air shows, even going to Reagan National in the place where you hear them come over, you know, the planes are driving over, all the windows down, because he wants it to be a full experience of sight and sound. <laughs> Those things have become romantic to me. Why? Because I really wanted to have my eardrums burst? No. <laughs> you are very special. <laughs> but because I'm getting to sit there participating in something he enjoys and to see the gleam in his eye when we're at an air show and an F-22, that's right, right, F-22, comes <laughs> flying by and he goes, wait, wait, because it sounds really silent at first and then after it goes by, boom! And I'm like, that's really great. <laughs> but it's become romantic because it's something he enjoys and to enjoy it together. The last thing that's helped me on this, this definition is that romance is work. It is hard work. And sometimes that can surprise me. I want it to be easy. I want it to be kind of this outflow of all my feelings. Well, sometimes I have to lay the wood before I can light the fire. Romance is work, and that definition has helped me over 32 years. And we're going to be talking about becoming aware of what really is delightful and desirous and romantic to your wife. Because in addition to our adventure movies, we've got our whole stack of Sense and Sensibility and Persuasion and Emma and um, what else do we have? Pride and Prejudice and Wives and Daughters and North and South and... And I've and learned little a little... And Little Dorrit and Martin Chuzzlewit and Oliver Twist. And I have... I've learned to love classic literature because my wife loves it. And she tells me about the characters and the plots and the, the, the culture. And I'm looking for fast and loud. I'm not seeing either, but <laughs> she's delighting and I'm delighting in her delight. In the middle of Song of Solomon, well, not in the middle, early on, the lovers are talking, they're conversing, they're waxing eloquent about their love and passion. And in the middle of this, 
the young man says, catch the little foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. For our vineyards are in blossom. He's talking about love and passion and affection. Suddenly he says, we need to catch the little foxes that spoil the vine. Now, in the garden, sin corrupted God's perfect creation. And one of the things we need to be aware of are little foxes that creep into our garden and begin to spoil the vine of romance and affection and desire and persistence and creativity. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through a list of possibilities. Things, if you're saying, you know what, we're not quite where we want to be on this. These may be some of the reasons. There may be one in particular thing. You know what, that is the little fox that is affecting our romance. Now, when we look at these categories and titles, they really reflect a heart issue. And we need to ask the Lord not just to deal with this on a superficial or practical level, but Lord, what's going on in my heart that would allow this to happen? What craving, what desire, what disposition has settled in that has allowed this to begin to affect our relationship? As we're going through, don't try to repent of every one of these all at once. Listen very clearly to the Spirit of God saying, that's the one. For now, that's the one to work on. Some of the things that can spoil the garden of our marriage. Letter A, ignorance. Lack of training or example. We just don't know where to start. We don't know where to begin. Betsy referenced going to friends. There's nothing that we have we haven't received. I mean, CJ and Carolyn Mahaney in particular, their example, their instruction, their care, their writing. We've learned. We've had to learn or we wouldn't know. But men, ask. Humble ourselves. If we don't know, ask. God gives grace to the humble. Ask your wife what pleases, delights. What... Ask her to write out her definition of romance. Go to men that seem to be making some degree of application successfully. Ask what they're doing. Ignorance can become a little fox. And we can be content because our flesh loves ease to stay ignorant. Not as much work. Ingratitude. Failure to appreciate God's goodness and mercy received. Making comparisons. See, if our minds run to romance as exotic getaways and passionate sexual intimacy, we can remain disappointed. There is so much going on every day that I experience from my wife's kindness that should prompt regular expression of gratefulness, appreciation, respect, admiration. The things that she does day in and day out that can sound, well, that just happens. The care for our home, food, laundry, affection, encouragement, prayer, watching her have her time with the Lord every morning, knowing she's praying for me. Those are things for which I should be grateful and allow that to stir my heart as I see her for what she does for the way that she cares, for the way that she encourages, for the way that she corrects as an expression of her love for me. That's one of the things that keeps romance going. We begin to wane in gratefulness. We begin to wane in humility. We begin to wane in affection. We begin to wane in appreciation. We begin to wane in romance.
Ladies, I really think it's the subtlety of ingratitude that we need to be on the lookout for. I think there are just so many things that we do for each other that we just consider part of the job description of being a husband. Um, Well, it's about time he got to that, finally. Well, it's the least he can do. Um, It's the subtlety. It's, It's just part of the job description. So just the other day, after one of the blizzards that we had, all of a sudden, Gary wasn't there. And I thought, well, where can he go? It's blizzarding. <laughs> well, I come to find out, he just decided to go out in the snow by himself to be able to get all the snow off of all the cars, to rearrange all the cars in the driveway, because we have a smaller driveway, so whoever leaves first, their car has to be out first, and so you have to sh- shuffle them all around. And he comes in after an hour or so. Do I look at that as, "Eh, good, that's what you should do, leader, husband, father? Or am I aware? He just spent that hour digging us all out. I want to express my gratitude for that profound servanthood. We can look today. What are things that we can give thanks for? How can we thank our husband? How can we thank our wife today? In the outline, there are little... Oh, not so much assignments, but opportunities. Under ignorance, I will become a student learning about my spouse. Under ingratitude, I will daily thank God for my spouse. And today, I will thank my spouse for Look for something very specifically to give thanks for. Another little fox, spiritual neglect. Breaking the first great commandment. Brothers and sisters, if we fail to keep the first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're not going to have grace to keep the second. It's that awareness of the love of God for us that keeps us humble, keeps us faithful, keeps us inspired, keeps us motivated. Loving God is what, and receiving the love of God, is what compels us to love others. It's, it's our pursuit of God that stirs our affections, that stirs our passion. It's our communion with him that lights an awareness of the privilege, the joy, the opportunities. Meditating on God's love and mercy, God's love and grace to us, empowers and compels God's love and grace through us. Without grace, romance is going to feel like an obligation. But responding in communion to the love of God stirs faith and grace for fruit and for change. Selfishness. This can come in so many forms. Indifference. Laziness or pursuing romance to get rather than give. When, I, when I'm aware that I'm lacking affection, I'm comfortable with this not talking, not touching, not being around. When I'm, it's easier not to put a lot of work into planning date night. When I begin to find that, uh, you know, it's been a full week, maybe we'll just stay home, and that becomes the pattern more than the exception. I need to ask, Lord, what is going on in my heart? Now, the first two, the ignorance, that's just a learning issue. There might not be a heart issue there unless we're content to not learn. Spiritual neglect, that's, That's a heart issue. Ingratitude. What is going on in my soul? That's where we must begin. Selfishness. Lord, what am I I craving or desiring more? What's going on in my heart? 
busyness. This is the one that always, I just, I seem to run to every time. Okay, romance needs a little bit of work. Busyness. Failure to put first things first. And listen to this. Showing love and mercy elsewhere. Then, life is full. It could be children. It could be the job. It could be the economy. It could be extended family. It could be household repairs. It could be any number of things. But we're constantly making choices about what we're going to do or about what's important or about where we're going to expend time and energy. And that's a choice we make. And you may say, well, do you think I want to spend all that time at work? I have to provide for my parents. Do you think I want to be spending time with this? I'll answer for me. If I'm doing that at the expense of my wife, then yes, that's what I want to do more. For whatever reason, that has to be adjusted. There's just no shortage of responsibilities, obligations. Things are competing for our time and attention and our affection constantly. We're never just sitting there thinking, boy, I wish I had something to do. I mean, that's just not life. It's not reality. Kids could be in a time... A season of life where they're just demanding a lot of time and energy. And that's understandable. And that's a biblical responsibility. But if that's taking more time and attention, affection and creativity, and I get more enthused about this than that, and my wife is watching, she knows when I'm my eyes light up, the planning begins, am I making the same effort in my pursuit? Of and care for her busyness. The, there are real demands that require flexibility and adjustment. That's a reality. But we have to make sure that somewhere near the very top of that list is I'm going to be busy loving my wife. Responsibilities of life are always there. They are ever increasing. And eventually what can happen is we become partners in running the family enterprise, the family business. We, the calendar on the wall looks like a train station schedule. I know who's supposed to be where, when, and when are you, and <laughs> clock in and clock out. Um, and I happen to be a very kind of task-oriented list. Any listers here that you just have your list and you're just checking it off all day? That's how I tend to be. What's a list? <laughs> <laughs> he needs a list. I'm his list. <laughs> um, and so what, what happened? I, I will never forget the season of life when our children were smaller, where our babysitter for a few weeks in a row uh, fell through. And those few nights that all of a sudden opened up, I got caught up. I was able to, and the next day I was like starting out ahead. And I realized after a couple of weeks of that, that sense of being caught up, I'm ahead, started to erode my sense of missing being out with my husband. And I had to realize, you know what, there's a competing love here. I'm loving getting caught up. And I had to really seriously take that and realize, now there is nothing more important than date night. There was this counterfeit thing that had taken its place. And I think we have to beware of phrases like, you know what, we'll get back to regular date nights once things get back to normal. (laughs) Can I ask you, what is normal? Or 
when things settle down. You know what? Things have never settled down. Um, those are the things that I must beware. I have found that what's really important to me, I will make happen. What's really important to me, I will make happen. Another little fox in the garden, and this can be, it can be very overt. It can be more often than not subtle. Bitterness, underlying disappointment, resentment, resignation. Things aren't going to be any different. This is never going to change. He's never going to change. She's never going to change. And bitterness is subtle. That's why the scripture calls it a root of bitterness. It's under the surface, but it is powerfully corrupted. You may think bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words. Let me look at some other symptoms. These aren't in your outline, but has conversation been minimal? Could be a sign. Affection, barely casual. Just don't want to touch, don't want to talk. Comments are more critical than encouraging. It's easier to find fault than things to encourage. Observations are usually judgmental. And laughter is only negligible. Now, I'm not saying that automatically concludes bitterness. That could be any of the other things that we've just looked at. But I would be aware when you find comfort and preference is distance, you need to ask, Lord, is there something going on in my soul? Another set of questions. Any unmet expectations? Particularly in the area of sex or intimacy. Any unresolved conflict? You're content that you're no longer angry, but it's not resolved. You know the next time you bring it up, it's going to be a problem. Any topics that you avoid in conversation? It's not going to talk about that anymore. I know what's going to happen. I know what she's going to say. I know what he's going to, how he's going to respond. Any unbelief about fruit or growth or change? Whether we're talking about change in sin, change in habits, change in appearance, it's just going to be that way. I've given up trying. Any criticism that you resent, if she brings that up again, if he says that one more time, any dreams dismissed, plans rejected, things that you long for, but you've given up, those could be indications of bitterness. And that needs to be talked about. Any one of those. That needs to be one of your next conversations. You know, I realize we, every time we talk about that, I, I don't hear any response from you. Or I think I've assumed that you know what I'm thinking. Any number of things. But folks, this one is very subtle. I can remember early in our relationship, I think we might have even written this in the book, uh, of I had a preference. And it was to go to used bookstores. Now, used bookstores, for me, have their charm in that they're dusty, they're dirty, they don't look like they've been cleaned up in years, and that's cool. 
and wonder who handled that book and who wrote that book and I wonder who's, who's, who put this book in, in this bookshelf. And, well, it wasn't Betsy's preference because it's dirty and it's dusty and it's old and who knows who's been touching that book. And, uh, uh, and so what would happen is I would make the request and it would not be her preference and so I would say, okay. And this went on for a while and I can remember vividly one Christmas, near Christmas, we're wrapping gifts at their dining room table and I remember Betsy said something and I reacted harshly and angrily and abruptly. Took her off guard, surprised me, she began to weep and I I felt in a moment the Lord said, you have become a bitter man. In my selfishness, I didn't want to contend for my preference. I didn't want to lead her beyond where she was. I didn't want to share an experience. I just let it go. But my heart was becoming hard and resentful. Something as small as where we go on an afternoon. But I became bitter because I wasn't talking about the things that were affecting our relationship. I needed to communicate. I needed to share. I needed to lead. I needed to ask questions. Okay, dear, if this is not a preference, let's do this this time, and then we'll do something that you would prefer next time. I ended up becoming bitter. I ended up becoming angry. And I am very grateful for your forgiveness. Well, he didn't get bitter in a vacuum. I need to consider my own contribution. Whether it was an antique store or a used bookstore, as he said, I just viewed them as... Who wants, who wants somebody else's scratched up furniture? Can you just tell me who? <laughs> He'd be glad to tell me he did. <laughs> His initiative was met time and again with, not today, not now. I was the queen of no in as many ways as I could communicate it. And I must recognize my contribution in tempting my husband to bitterness. Not to excuse him from it, mm-hmm. but to recognize my role. My, my husband, has his interests have so broadened my narrow life. And that has brought me increasing joy over the years. So now, I love going to antique stores. I even love watching Antique Roadshow. <laughs> <laughs> because of his patience because of his persistence it has actually become a means of grace to both of us men and and looking at this particular little fox this particular root one of the ways that we can be assured that it doesn't happen or adjust it when it does is just to begin a conversation it's going to take humility it's going to take courage it's going to take faith to say we cannot leave this part of our relationship as it is. Now, it would have seemed very self-serving to, for me to say, no, we are going to the bookstore. But if I had taken a step back and pondered, what would, what would broaden her perspective? What can we share together? What new thing can we introduce to our relationship? Maybe it ends up being an experience we just say, you know what, you were right all along. This is not all it's cracked up to be. But take the step. Pursue the adventure. And then work it out. Now, I listed a bunch of topics in there. Whatever that thing is that kind of pricked your thinking, 
brought back a painful memory. Or prompted to say, we have to talk about that. Please make sure you do. Please make sure you do. Another little fox is fear of man. <clears throat> Pride, embarrassment, self-consciousness. I, I write a poem. I'm not going to write a poem. Sing a song. Are you crazy? Go dancing. I'd be a fool. I'm not. And there, what we end up doing is we end up reducing our world to this little corner restaurant that we go to every date night. What are the same thing? No. God wants you to get beyond who you think you are. Now, guys, here's where it starts getting scary, okay? <clears throat> Too often, I can, I can obscure fear of man with, that's just not me. That's not my personality. That's not my purpose. Okay, that's good for him. I can see him doing that. I can never see me doing that. <clears throat> I remember several years ago going to a birthday party with Betsy. <clears throat> And we walked into this large recreation room. I'm not sure if anybody from that party was here, but you'll, you'll remember in it shortly. And I looked over in the corners. We walked in the door, and I saw a karaoke machine. I wanted to walk <clears throat> out at that point. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a divine moment because I felt like, I felt like God said, that's for you. <laughs> and I felt like he said, that's for him alone, too. <laughs> And, and it was one of those things, it's, I just knew it. I thought, I'm coming into this room with my pride, <clears throat> my pseudo-sophistication, my fear of man, my desire to be cool, and there's this karaoke machine. And sure enough, through the evening, it started. Okay, Gary, your turn. No, 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 I'm not doing this. Come on, come on. And <clears throat> so I said, all right. I said, if you'll pick a song that I can sing to my wife. So they came up with some enchanted evening. <clears throat> and so I said, turn the music up loud, and here we go. And I start out with some enchanted evening. And I went, th- that wasn't bad. <laughs> Scary, it wasn't, okay. But I, I realized, okay, Lord, you just give me an opportunity to put to death my pride. It didn't come out great. It wasn't impressive. Nobody was recording it except for mischievous purposes. And it was, but it gave me an opportunity to take one new creative, maybe never to be repeated again, step of telling my wife that I love her in front of, I don't know how many people were there. Fear of man. It needed to die. God's going to give you opportunities. Don't run from them. Step into them. Well, as you can imagine... Him being up there by himself wasn't sufficient. He wanted me to join him in this experience of putting to death fear of man and enjoying romance. And as soon as he started singing, I thought, he is going to call me up there. I just knew it, and sure enough, he did. He was not content that he be the only one. He wanted me to join him so we could have a moment together. I really see only two options for us here. We can either allow our fear of man, ladies, our craving to be impressive, to deepen and grow resentful towards our more adventuresome, creative spouse, or we can learn to appreciate the opportunity that our spouse gives us to grow and to free ourselves from the stifling grip of pride. I never know what to expect when we go out. 
I do not know in the middle of a movie theater like this, like could be like this, where he'll go get the popcorn and come back in and from, I, I can just see it in his eyes as soon as he turns the corner. Hi, dear. Hi. And I just, I just know he's, he's not going to stop until I say hi back. <laughs> or just going to an amusement park. And I know he's going to want to ride every roller coaster. And, and, and I've, I've grown to love that part. But now it's the front row. <laughs> so there's always something. Can we just grow to appreciate and see what, how that broadens our experience? And then when you're done, you can just, you realize you get off that roller coaster, you say, I can't believe I did it. I did it with you. But don't make me do it again. <laughs> Little foxes. Roman number four, romance comes from a passionate heart. And here we're going to start taking a little bit of time in the Song of Solomon, an entire book of the Bible, right in the middle of what is called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, Song of Solomon, an entire book of the Bible devoted to proclaiming the joy, unique joy and wonder of passionate marital love. Uh, from our reading, the couple depicted in the poem is just an ordinary couple, just like us. Just folks going through life. They've studied one another. They're fiercely devoted to one another. They're constantly aware of each other. They, are pas- they have a passionate desire for one another. And as a result, they fill their thoughts, words, and actions with expressions of love for one another. Both the bride and the bridegroom are active participants. Folks, we need to read this book. We read other books of the Bible. All scripture is profitable. For instruction yes, and training. This book is living and active. Now, it's going to have unique application for every one of us uniquely created. But this book needs to be a part of our spiritual diet as a married couple. Creativity, passion, new ideas, new ways to say, new ways to express. We need to be given to this book. In my study of the book, I was affected by the fact in one of the commentaries I read, described that this book shows the experience and triumph of romance in the midst of life's circumstances and not removed from life's difficulties. That this couple lavishly loves one another while they endure separation, hostility, meddling relatives. It isn't romance on some idyllic island somewhere. No, it's romance, the experience of it and the triumph of it in the midst of daily life. Romance is to occur in the context of commitment. What we're going to be doing is running through a few different verses. We're going to start giving you some practical ideas. What we're primarily after is capturing our hearts. God gets our hearts. The ideas are going to come. The the practicals are going to come. The creativity is going to come. We're going to introduce a few things in here that that we've applied. But the goal here is to stir you to come up with your own ideas. Romance is to occur in the context of commitment. They are declaring, my beloved is mine and I am his. My beloved is mine and I am his. She shares that three times throughout the throughout this song. And in scripture, ladies, the repetition of something is meant to show us its emphasis. 
She's not just saying a legal fact, my beloved is mine and I am his. She is saying it as many ways as she knows how. She says, my beloved is mine and I am his. Wait, no, no, I'm my beloved and he is mine. No, no, wait. As many ways, as many ways as she can, she wants to celebrate that fact. And we need to find ways to celebrate your commitment. Now, the obvious one is anniversary. Guys, don't forget your anniversary, please, or you'll be back to conflict resolution, okay? What are, what are ways that you can celebrate your commitment? One of the things that we love doing is celebrating July 24th is when I proposed. More importantly, that's when she said yes. So I look for that on the counter. Just mark it down. And one year we were in Florida uh, at uh, Disney World and we were uh, having dinner in Cinderella's Castle and I'm sitting there as the date is approaching thinking, we're going to be there July 24th. So I ran downstairs. My kids are watching me. What is dad up to now? So I went downstairs. There was a little jewelry store. It was just inexpensive. I bought this little tiny ring, brought it back up the stairs, subtly, discreetly, surreptitiously, covertly. And as we were having dinner, I just pulled my chair back, got down on my knee, handed her the ring, and thanked her for the years ago that she said yes. I just wanted to celebrate our commitment. She is mine, and I am so glad I am hers. Celebrating your commitment. There's a caution that the Song of Song provides as well to engage couples. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Now, apart from the covenant of marriage, romance, sexual intimacy, it's inappropriate. It's selfish. You may be engaged, but you're not in a covenant. She is not yours. And anything you pursue in that regard is going to be more taking than giving. Enough said. Romance is passionate. Love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Neither can floods drown it. Many waters cannot quench love. I love this. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Nothing should compare with our love for one another. Nothing should compete with our love for one another. Our our love for one another grows and deepens. But it should be the thing that most supremely captures our attention after the gospel, captures our affection, stirs our creativity. Nothing that I talk about and nothing that I do apart from the Savior should bring me more joy, more excitement, more delight than talking to or about my wife. I think that's an admonition for all of us. And that's worth a conversation. And we've had this conversation. I'll ask it at the table. Kids, love, as you've looked at me this week, what do you think has been most exciting to me? Now, obviously, there are projects and there's planning, and I'm not saying that every time, oh, it's mom, it's mom. It's mom again this week. Mom wins again. But they're, they're, they know what when there are seasons where dad's preoccupied and dad's distracted or dad's now excited about this, but I don't see him excited the same way about planning family night or date night. Allow, allow an awareness of who God has given us in a gift to stir our hearts, our thoughts. Romance begins with constant thoughts of affection. Before you touch her body, touch her heart and mind. 
What do we need to stir our hearts? Keep reminders around. I love the fact that I wear a wedding ring. Now, a wedding ring doesn't make me more married, but I love the fact that I am not alone. God has given me a gift. Pictures in my office. I love having things around that display memories, that have pictures of my wife. Um, then we just need to make sure that we have ways to prompt our thinking. Life is full. You're sitting at the desk. There are many things that you are busy with. I just love having a picture there. Reminder, prompts a phone call, prompts an email. In several sections, uh, several selections of the Song of Songs, we hear the bride celebrating her love. Thoughts of desire. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. They're just thinking about one another. Have reminders, men in particular, at the office, in the shop, on the road. Or are you just aware of your wife? Prompt you to pray for her, call her. I love the fact that I think many of you have already heard this example. Uh, uh, when I was on staff in the Covenant Life offices, whenever somebody was on staff and uh, was moving on to another position, we put together an album where they had encouragement notes, pictures of the staff. We gave it as a gift. And I remember the photographer coming around and getting ready to take my picture. And I thought, wait a second, it's not just me, it's me and Betsy. So I went and got the pic- my picture, Betsy, held it next to me, and then had my picture taken. And because in that album, I want them to think, it's me and Betsy. I can remember when Mike Thompson and Sarah Kometz got married, they had, um, I think they were taking Polaroids here instead of using the digitals because they wanted to process them right away. And it was the same thing. We were going to take pictures, write encouragement notes, put them in the album. So I ran downstairs, got my picture of my wife, held it next to me, had my picture taken. Because when people think of me, I want them to be, no, it's Gary and Betsy. I want to be reminded. Thoughts unceasing. I slept, but my heart was awake. Making calls during the day. Sending a little email. When Betsy calls, I want her to know that she's never an interruption. Now, there may be something I need to attend to. I can call her back. But I want to be the one to tell her that. Just, I I was also aware during the day of how many things I do that are relatively mundane. But I could include Betsy and make her aware that I'm thinking of her. I love sending her emails during the day, forwarding emails, nothing that's confidential. But just keeping her aware of what's going on during the day. And... The way that I had my signature on my email was just Gary. I thought, well, wait a second. I'm, I want her to know something about how I feel. So I came up with new signatures for her. And you can just put it on your email and it shows up. Click Betsy and you all know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I'm as computer illiterate as they come. But I'm finding my way around little gizmos and gadgets that become romantic opportunities. So create your own signature that's uniquely hers. Um, I also found that with a smiley face, if you take a colon and a parenthesis, you get a smiley face. But if you take a colon and a bracket and a parenthesis, you've got a smiley face with a mustache. So that becomes just a little... Now, you may think, you've got too much time on your hands. You got any work done down there? But I'm realizing there's just a little correspondence that can include just some indication. I'm thinking of you in the middle of this. Uh, There are things that we love and enjoy. And I've gone and found clip art that has little pictures of those. And with three clicks, you stick a picture in there that it's a memory or a suggestion or an idea or just something that I know she's going to delight in. 
Look at the things you do regularly. How can you spice those up? How can you make her aware? I'm thinking of you. Thoughts of anticipation. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Just talking about the fact, I can't wait for date night. Can't wait for our next vacation. Can't wait to come home from the office. Just the thought of saying, you know, in the midst of everything else going on, there's something I prefer much more. There's something I am anticipating, I'm longing for, I'm desiring. It's just a small thing. It's not insincere. It's not flattery. It's just that expression of, I'm here. I'd rather be there. I can't wait to be there. Ladies, when we read through the Song of Solomon, the country girl dreams about her beloved. She daydreams about him. She even speaks out loud to him when he's not there. She's constantly thinking of him. Her romantic imaginings are exclusively about him. And we live in a culture that advertises romance everywhere except marriage. And we would be foolish not to be aware of the constant barrage directed towards us to direct our loving thinking, our romantic imaginations away from our husbands. Let's learn from this girl. She was captivated by her beloved and by him alone. May we follow her example. There should be no romance in our head that does not have our husband in the starring role. Let us follow her example. (laughs) Romance is spoken with carefully crafted words. These folks are enjoying secret and public admiration based on careful observation and deep affection. They're just paying attention. They're just commenting on what they see and what they observe. They're making, they're making heartfelt comparisons. They're, they're looking for ways to describe. They are, they, they are grasping at everything that they observe to find a wonderfully new and creative way to express their love for one another. Now, I don't use, nor do I think it's wise for us to use the language that's in this book. I don't think I've ever called my wife a mare or <laughs> told her that she was like a goat. Or <laughs> I just wouldn't do that if I were you. But what's, what is creative for you? What ways can you speak specifically, creatively, practically, affectionately to your bride? I love the fact that in their elaborate praise of each other in the Geneva Study Bible and a note on this. It says, it is irrelevant whether the country girl is really perfect in any way that could be proven. The words are an expression of her beloved's deep affection for her, and that is all the images are intended to be. What they are communicating back to each other isn't necessarily a blow-by-blow description. It is an expression of their delight in each other of who they are to one another. Now, I know that my outer woman is decaying. I'm on the back nine, the down escalator, whatever you want to call it. We know we're getting older. But I would never know, I would never know that if I only had his words rather than a mirror describe me. Let us delight in who we are to one another. And the fact that we have the priceless privilege of growing old together. Let's follow their example. 
want to read um, just a quick section from <clears throat> CJ's book on sex, romance, and the glory of God. It's a must-read. I'm going to reference it to the guys again in the next section. The, the man is talking about his wife. He calls her beautiful. He calls her flawless. He calls her perfect. And in the book, C.J. says, The overall description we have of this woman is filtered almost exclusively through the man's expression of her. He even goes so far as to say to call her flawless. Is he lying? Is he flattering her? Does he need glasses? <laughs> not at all. He is not describing so much what she looks like, but how he feels about her. There is a huge difference When the man says, all beautiful you are, my darling, there is no flaw in you. And when he calls her my perfect one, what's going on is very clear. He is lavishing high praises upon his beloved in an effort to communicate her effect on him. These are expressions of his heartfelt evaluation of her. They are not based on cultural criteria. Others may not share his assessment of her beauty. He doesn't care. This is how he sees her, and together they rejoice in that assessment. Our spouse, our feelings should have the same effect on us. Find ways to talk. Okay. We're going to get to uh, Roman, our letter E. Romance is displayed with physical affection. Just gestures. See, when we think of affection, we're not just talking about running from dinner to the bedroom. We're talking about a way of life. Touching, a pat, a hug, a kiss, opening a door, a gesture, a wink. Something that communicates, I love who you are and I love the fact that I am with you. When the Song of Solomon says, Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? In the ESV Bible note on this verse, the Bible says, the note says, This simple statement captures an intimate and typical pose of this man and woman. And immediately I thought to myself, Would those who see Gary and me together Describe affection as typical? That was just a question that stirred my heart. Have I let anything drift? I remember when we were early married and we had our old station wagon with the bench seat and I would sit right next to him and as he was driving. I remember somebody leaning in the window and saying, Oh, you're sitting next to him now. I give it a year. You'll be over by the other door. And something rose up. I went... I don't want it to drift like that. I just, that, that little note so inspired me. But those who see us together describe affection between us as typical. Romance is active, planned, and spontaneous. We're just going to run through this pretty quickly. Look ahead. What's coming up on the calendar that you can begin to plan for? Special days, events, memories, um, We still have our Valentine's Day decorations up in the yard. The snow was perfect uh, because it enabled me to get all my silk roses out and put them all over the yard and the plastic hearts all over the yard and hang up the plastic hearts from the window and 
We thought there were squirrels in our attic, and we realized it's the little plastic hearts that are nailed to the front of the house that are whipping against the house. And so now, I'm, there are many ways in which I'm not, I, I'm not efficient at planning. I mean, I love spontaneity. It's, it can be dangerous, but, but just looking ahead. What are ways that you can surprise and delight? Be a student. What does she like? What does she love? What would she enjoy? Uh, for for uh, as a Valentine's gift, I was watching Betsy watch another one of these movies. It's called Cranford. Have you all seen that? Okay. Uh, and but she was just talking about the characters and how delightful they were. So okay, tucked that one away. Uh, ordered online Valentine's Day. Be able to say. Now, I wouldn't have thought of that had I not at least taken a moment to say, she's really enjoying this. Men, what delights our wives? What stirs their joy? Be a student. Learn to appreciate their interests. Begin to pursue planned and spontaneous expressions of romance. Ladies, <clears throat> ladies, let's watch. Let's listen. Let's ask and then write it down. Watch, listen, ask, and write down. So when Gary comes through the door and I hear him in the kitchen and I hear him go, Ugh. I go, oh, what happened? He goes, ah, I just scratched up my sunglasses. They're no good anymore. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, that's what I get to save up for. Watch, listen, ask, write it down and do it. Thank you. Beginning to pursue planned and spontaneous expressions of romance. What can we begin to do? What ideas can we come up with? Romance is to be a way of life. And our examples, once again, these are things that we do. You should start your own list. Every one of us are unique. We're created differently. But what is appealing and romantic to you? Not just things, but you. And this is where taking an interest, conversation, concern, care, asking questions, communication. One of the things to remember is we already talked about communication, conflict, resolution. We didn't start this series with romance. We put a lot of things in place before this. Being responsive to initiative, whether he's initiating, she's initiating, be ready to be responsive. So you right. already know who is Mr. Creative and who is Mr. Generosity and who is Mrs. Budget. <laughs> My husband is a man of grand ideas, and it is not uncommon for him to come home from the office burst in through the door and say, hey, I heard on the news on the car radio that the space shuttle is taking off next week. Let's go. I'm and that thinking, almost happened. That almost <laughs> happened. We got snowed out. It almost yeah. happened. It almost happened. What's my response? I can tell you what my response is. We don't have the money for that. We don't have the time for that. But you know what? I have... What I have learned over the years is I want to respond to the idea. Even if we can't do it, I want to respond to the idea behind it and celebrate that kind of thing. That he would come in and think of wanting me to share in yet another loud thing. <laughs> and the only reason we are not bankrupt is my wife. <laughs> Planning... <clears throat> We've talked about planning. How can I serve? How can I surprise? That would, those would be two questions men we can regularly ask. How can I serve my wife? How can I surprise my wife? I think that's, I think that's a refrain in CJ's book. How can I serve? How can I surprise? Special days, family traditions, holidays, make memories. 
husband wants, to, wants me to make sure that we include our romantic disasters as well My as our disasters. memories together. Because a romantic disaster can end up being a romantic memory when age and forgetfulness kind of waft over the initial, I can't believe we're here or doing this or... Uh, for one of our anniversaries, he wanted to take me back to the place that we used to go when we were young to Williamsburg. Well, on one of our anniversaries, we go back to this place, and, you know, it hadn't aged even as well as we had. So we come into the room, and it just smelled so bad. I can't even tell you. And then he goes, okay, well, let me go back to the front desk, and we'll go back to the scenic section. So we go back to another room in the scenic area, and it was worse. And I come through the door. And the this thing is our that, 20th anniversary. The thing that really got me was when I went in the bathroom and there's the fixture kind of hanging off the wall. And, and this is our 20th anniversary. So I'm sitting on the bed. He's trying to make phone calls. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't fun then, but we're laughing about it now. And I'm thanking him for a romantic disaster. He tried. <laughs> Guys, if it's any comfort, let me give you a few more. Ladies, be patient with us. We had an opportunity two years ago to do a marriage seminar in Vail, Colorado. It's not bad. So I thought, if we can get out there early enough, we can spend a whole day together in Vail, Colorado, before the seminar starts that evening. So, being the world traveler that I am, I thought, I'm going to make my own reservations. Don't need my assistant. Don't need a skilled secretary. Don't need a professional. I can do this. So I make the reservations. I figure we're going to get there early. We're going to stay late. We're going to have a little bit of time at the seminar. We're going to have a great time together. So I get, we get to the airport. At 7. 7 a.m. Uh, ready for our 9 a.m. flight. So I hand the uh, baggage check uh, at the curb. I thought we're just going to get through this. This is going to be great. We're going to have a little day there. We're going to get to Colorado. Time change earlier. Blah, blah, blah. I get there and <laughs> the guy goes... Are you sure you're on this flight? And I said, sure, look at this. And he goes, sir, this is 9 p.m. Exactly. Do it again. (laughs) We're there at 7 a.m. for a 9 p.m. flight. Well, then it begins. How do we get on a standby flight? 10 o'clock, no. 11 o'clock, no. Now, here's the thing that is so humbling. That could have turned out any number of ways. Betsy, very graciously, forgave me, was grateful that it didn't turn into a conflict, was able to support and encourage me because she knew I was crashing and burning. I thought this is not the way I wanted to spend a day. We ended up getting on a flight later that late afternoon. We actually missed the initial session at the seminar. We weren't supposed to speak. It was just orientation. But my plans, my desire for romance, didn't quite turn out the way that we had hoped. As a matter of fact, it gets worse. (laughs) We get there. 
the way they did the seminar was early morning session, the rest of the day is yours. I went online because I'm a planner. I went online and I found this, it was something like Great Lake Lodge or something up in the Rocky Mountains. We're in the Rocky Mountains. It's beautiful. So I go online. There's this restaurant. I check it all out. I get the directions. We're at the seminar. We've got a car. We're going to drive up, two-hour drive up to the mountains. It's gorgeous. We get to the town. I'm looking for this restaurant. Can't find the restaurant. They're looking for the lodge. Oh, the lodge. Yeah, the lodge. I go into the shop. I ask this woman. She goes, oh, sir, that's been closed down for two years. Two hours drive. <clears throat> we end up eating hamburgers in some little greasy spoon in the Rocky Mountains. You want to do these two? Uh, a couple quick little disasters. Early in our marriage, we went on a stay at Skyline Drive, and we were going on this hike, that what was called an archaeological dig. And so we're walking out through this field, and all of a sudden we start looking around us, and we are in the midst of bushes that look like berries, but they are covered with locusts. Beady-eyed locusts. I mean, thousands of them. That's dear. Let's go for a stroll. Don't move. Don't touch. Fortunately, we weren't consumed. We were in Williamsburg, and I decided it'd be fun to go bike riding. So we rent bikes. Williamsburg is beautiful, it's pastoral, it's serene, it's idyllic. I said, yeah, let's go this way, and then let's go this way. And next thing I know, we're dodging tractor trailers on the interstate. (laughs) 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 And live to tell about it. So make memories. Have supplies, cards, notes, gifts, outings. Uh, spending time to pray together, spiritual intimacy, taking time. Uh, love, I have Robin and Claire Boisvert have, they read books together. They just love, I mean, what it does for their friendship, their fellowship, their conversation, their affection, what one another enjoys. One of the things that I've asked, I told you I was very uncreative, so one of the things that I did very practically is he needs to fill out a wish list. And the categories on that wish list are practical, recreational, fantastical and miscellaneous and I can tell you there's only one thing on the fantastical practical recreational fantastical miscellaneous have him fill those out you owe me a wish list I put the same thing on every category (laughs) as we are wrapping up you've been very patient been very attentive folks regardless of where we are start immediately Every one of us can say thank you for something. Every one of us can communicate our appreciation and respect for something. Every one of us can communicate our desire to grow, to improve, to be more fruitful in something. Don't wait. And ladies, romance is not just for us to experience. It's for us to create. I would make sure that we're giving with no expectations of immediate response. We're giving because we love our spouse. And finally, folks, read the Song of Songs. 
write new verses of your own, but make this song your song. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your lavish and gracious, consistent and creative love for us. Thank you for the hope of the gospel that regardless of whatever experience or need that we might be uh, involved in right now, Lord, your grace is greater. Lord, I do pray that you would put faith and hope, anticipation, creativity in the hearts of every man and woman in this room, in each of our hearts. And that, Lord, as a result of these few moments together, there would be renewed passion, creativity, excitement, and anticipation to express the love to one another that you have shown us. Bless these dear folks, Lord. Honor the desires of their heart. Bring forth much grace, much joy, much much affection and romance in every marriage for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.